0: section twenty nine of captains of industry this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by phil chenever captains of industry by james Parton. section twenty nine james lackington second-hand bookseller it would seem not to be so very difficult a matter to buy an article for fifty cents and sell it for seventy five businessmen know however that to live and thrive by buying and selling requires a special gift which is about as rare as other special gifts by which men conquer the world in some instances it is easier to make a thing than to sell it and it is not often that a man who excels in the making succeeds equally well in the selling general george p morris used to say i know a dozen men in new york who could make a good paper but among them all I do not know one who could sell it. The late Governor Morgan of New York had this talent in a singular degree even as a boy. His uncle sent him to New York to buy, among other things, two or three hundred bushels of corn. He bought two cargoes and sold them to Advantage in Hartford on his way from the stage office to his uncle's store, and he kept on doing similar things all his life. He knew by a sort of intuition— when it was safe to buy twenty thousand bags of coffee or all the coffee there was for sale in new york and he was very rarely mistaken he had a genius for buying and selling i have seen car boys and news boys who had this gift there are boys who will go through a train and hardly ever fail to sell a book or two they improve every chance if there is a passenger who wants a book or can be made to think he wants one the boy will find him out. Now, James Lackington was a boy of that kind. In the preface to the memoirs which he wrote of his career, he described himself as a person who, a few years since, began business with five pounds and now sells one hundred thousand volumes annually. But in fact, he did not begin business with five pounds, but with nothing at all. He was the son of a drunken shoemaker who lived in an English country town and he had no schooling except a few weeks at a dame's school at twopence a week. He had scarcely learned his letters at that school when his mother was obliged to take him away to help her in tending his little brothers and sisters. He spent most of his childhood in doing that and, as he remarks, quote, in running about the streets getting into mischief, close quote. When he was ten years old he felt the stirring of an inborn genius for successful traffic. He noticed, and no doubt with the hungry eyes of a growing boy, an old pie-man who sold his pies about the streets in a careless, inefficient way, and the thought occurred to him that if he had pies to sell, he could sell more of them than the ancient pie-man. He went to a baker and acquainted him with his thoughts on pie-selling, and the baker soon sent him out with a tray full of pies. He showed his genius at once the spirited way in which he cried his pies and his activity in going about with them made him a favorite with the pie-buyers of the town so that the old pie-man in a few weeks lost all his business and shut up his shop the boy served his baker more than a year and sold so many pies and cakes for him as to save him from impending bankruptcy in the winter time he sold almanacs with such success That the other dealers threatened to do him bodily mischief but this kind of business would not do to depend on for a lifetime and therefore he was bound apprenticed to a shoemaker at the age of fourteen years during which a desire for more knowledge arose within him he learned to read and write but was still so ashamed of his ignorance that he did not dare to go into a bookstore because he did not know the name of a single book to ask for ONE OF HIS FRIENDS BROUGHT HIM A LITTLE VOLUME CONTAINING A TRANSLATION FROM THE GREEK PHILOSOPHER Epictetus, A WORK FULL OF WISE MAXIMS ABOUT LIFE AND DUTY. THEN HE BOUGHT OTHER ANCIENT AUTHORS, PLATO, Plutarch, EPICURUS, AND OTHERS. HE BECAME A SORT OF METHODIST PHILOSOPHER, FOR HE HEARD THE METHODIST PREACHERS DILIGENTLY ON SUNDAYS AND READ HIS GREEK PHILOSOPHY IN THE EVENINGS he tells us that the account of epicurus living in his garden upon a halfpenny a day and considering a little cheese on his bread as a great treat filled him with admiration and he began forthwith to live on bread and tea alone in order to get money for his books after ending his apprenticeship and working for a short time as a journeyman he married a buxom dairymaid with whom he had been in love for seven years It was a bold enterprise, for when they went to their lodgings after the wedding they searched their pockets carefully to discover the state of their finances, and found that they had one halfpenny to begin the world with. They had laid in provisions for a day or two, and they had work by which to procure more, so they began their married life by sitting down to work at shoemaking and singing together the following stanza. Our portion is not large indeed, but then how little do we need, for nature's wants are few. In this the art of living lies, to want no more than may suffice, and make that little do. They were happy as the day was long. Twenty times, reports this jolly shoemaker, he and his wife sang an ode by Samuel Wesley, beginning, No glory I covet, no riches I want, ambition is nothing to me. The one thing I beg of kind heaven to Grant is a mind independent and free. They needed their cheerful philosophy, for all they had to spend on food and drink for a week was a sum about equal to one of our dollars. Even this small revenue grew smaller, owing to the hard times, and poor James Lackington saw his young wife pining away under insufficient food and sedentary employment. His courage again saved him after enduring extreme poverty for three years he got together all the money he could raise gave most of it to his wife and set out for london where he arrived in august seventeen seventy four with two and sixpence in his pocket it was a fortunate move for our brave shoemaker he obtained work and good wages at once soon sent for his wife and their united earnings more than supplied their wants a timely legacy of ten pounds from his grandfather gave them a little furniture and he became again a frequenter of second-hand bookstores he could scarcely resist the temptation of a book that he wanted one christmas eve he went out with money to buy their christmas dinner but spent the whole sum for a copy of young's night thoughts his wife did not relish this style of christmas repast i think said he to his disappointed spouse that i have acted wisely for had i bought a dinner we should have eaten it tomorrow, and the pleasure would have soon been over but should we live fifty years longer we shall have the night thoughts to feast upon it was his love of books that gave him abundant christmas dinners for the rest of his life having hired a little shop in which to sell the shoes made by himself and his wife it occurred to him that he could employ the spare room in selling old books his chief motive being to have a chance to read the books before he sold them beginning with a stock of half a hundred volumes chiefly of divinity he invested all his earnings in this new branch and in six months he found his stock of books had increased fivefold he abandoned his shoemaking moved into larger premises and was soon a thriving bookseller he was scrupulous not to sell any book which he thought calculated to injure its readers, although about this time he found the Methodist society somewhat too strict for him. He made a curious remark on this subject. Quote, I well remember, he says, that some years before, Mr. Wesley told his society at Bristol in my hearing that he could never keep a bookseller six months in his flock, close quote. His trade increased with astonishing rapidity, and the reason was that he knew how to buy and sell. He abandoned many of the old usages and traditions of the book trade. He gave no credit, which was itself a startling innovation, but his master stroke was selling every book at the lowest price he could afford, thus giving his customers a fair portion of the benefit of his knowledge and activity. He appears to have begun the system by which books have now become a part of the furniture of every house. He bought with extraordinary boldness, spending sometimes as much as sixty thousand dollars in an afternoon sale. As soon as he began to live with some liberality, kind friends foretold his speedy ruin, or, as he says, when, by the advice of that eminent physician, Dr. Lettsom. I purchased a horse and saved my life by the exercise it afforded me. The old adage, set a beggar on horseback and he'll ride to the devil, was deemed fully verified. But one horse became two horses and his chase a chariot with liveried servants, in which vehicle one summer he made the round of the places in which he had lived as a shoemaker, called upon his old employers, and distributed liberal sums among his poor relations. So far from being ashamed of his business, he caused to be engraved on all his carriage doors the motto which he considered the secret of his success. Small profits do great things. In his old age he rejoined his old friends, the Methodist, and he declares in his last edition that, if he had never heard the Methodist preach, in all probability he should have remained through life a poor, ragged, dirty cobbler. End of section 29